Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, the final episode for 2023. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be going through all the predictions for the future given to us by guests on the show for the last 12 months. Welcome to this special episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. It's an honor to be here at the end of our full first year. This podcast has been an incredible project to be a part of, and I want to thank you, the listeners, for your support. I also want to thank Nathaniel Nelson for putting together the Hacker History segments. I want to thank Matt Bromley for showing up week in and week out to talk through the intel coming out of the awesome Lima Charlie Slack community. And I also want to thank those folks in our Slack community for sharing the cutting-edge intel they're digging up with the rest of us. We're all a little bit safer because of the work you do. Finally, I want to thank the whole team at Lima Charlie for creating the room for me to work on this project. I've never had the privilege to work with such a group of high-caliber people, and it's a real honor. I'm very excited about all that is coming in 2024. You can expect lots of exciting announcements relating to Lima Charlie and the SecOps Cloud platform. We're going to continue to add new features and capabilities and grow the vision. I'm not going to do the full pitch right now, but if you haven't checked out the SecOps Cloud platform yet, you should. We have a full-featured free tier with no credit card required. Jump on the platform today and start ingesting and monitoring logs, deploy an EDR, write custom detection rules, create your own extension. You can even start an MDR. And just about anything else SecOps related that you can think of. The only limit is your imagination. You can learn more and get started at limacharlie.io. I'm also excited about what we're going to be doing on the podcast. We have some great interviews lined up and I'm going to be experimenting with the format. If you have any ideas or feedback, constructive or not, I would love to hear it. You can send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. So if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you'll know that I like to end each interview by asking the guest if they have any predictions for the future of cybersecurity. For this episode, I've assembled all the predictions from guests on the show to help us get a sense of what might be coming in 2024 and beyond. It's a fun listen with some common themes and a lot of really smart folks. And just a note, the predictions are in no particular order. I was originally going to do them by date, but as we get closer to the end of the year, all the predictions seem to be about AI and I wanted to keep things fresh. I really hope you enjoy listening to this, and I wish you all a happy and safe New Year celebration. First up, Adnan Khan, Lead Security Engineer at Pretoria. In terms of the future, I think slowly organizations are need to start looking at CI/CD systems like such as GitHub Actions or GitLab with the same kind of, you know, care that organizations right now look at, say, AWS IAM or their cloud configurations. Like these systems often end up providing the same level of access to those cloud systems. So they really need to be looking at CI/CD systems with just as much care and make sure they have this. They are up to the same security standards as their, you know, AWS or GCP environments. Next up. Dave Cullen, Field CTO at Atorio. The rate of change is going to continue to increase. And certainly, you know, I can say it a bit tongue-in-cheek with OT, is I could start talking about technologies we're going to see, and if anybody comes from the IT world, they say, well, that's been in IT for a while. And yes, that's true, right? So we're seeing more things like software-defined networking, virtualization, edge computing, containerization, those sorts of technologies taking a you know, greater hold in the OT environment. They are moving in there. But I think what we will see is you know, a lot more that becomes software-driven, perhaps that devs, hopefully sec, ops approach, if you will, translating some of that best practice in. Whether we like it or not, I'm sure AI is going to make its way into the conversation for OT because what, what these environments do is generate a lot of telemetry, a lot of great analytical data. So that can be consumed. How do you make, you know, so as we drive for greater efficiency and productivity, how do you utilize that data and really be able to close the, you know, have a closed loop system? Right now we receive the data. And it's typically for kind of human level decision support, but that will, I think we'll start to see more automation extend into these environments in, um, you know, how decisions are made and implemented, right? So, I'll, you know, just funneling that down to security, 
we typically will stay away from any type of automation from a security context in these environments because that could produce risk, significant risk. But I think as it matures and as as more, you know, these environments progress, we'll start to see more of that orchestration and automation take hold because they're very complex. They're very large environments. So from a human capacity perspective, it's very difficult to always be on top of it, right? Next up, Sean Higgins, cybersecurity consultant and educator, who is one of the co-founders of the Herjavec Group. Well, first off, it's not going away. <laughs> you know, you got to keep your guard up. And, I, you know, I always like to start, you know, especially with individuals, is think about the basics. You know, the basics for cybersecurity. One of them is make sure everything is updated all the time. Okay? There's a patch Tuesday for a reason. Update your software. Number two, passwords. Get yourself a good password manager. Okay? Because your passwords are the key to everything these days. And having a password shared across multiple accounts is bad. Having random passwords is much better. And a password manager, password vault, will allow you to have multiple different passwords all randomly generated. I mean, my password today is 20 random characters. You know, we've got pass keys coming up. Make sure on your computer you have some type of endpoint protection. Antivirus or what they're calling today, endpoint detection response today. Find something more, you know, that's advanced to protect your endpoint. More of the same is an answer that I've heard more than once on the show when I asked that question. So <laughs> It's going to shift and change because we're going to shift and change some of the technologies, but then they'll just find a different way. Yeah. To get in. But just, again, keep yourself updated. Protect your endpoints. Be careful where you're going. Have a good password manager. Next up, Jack Resider, creator and host of Darknet Diaries, cybersecurity's favorite podcast. Oh, predictions. Um, I think that it's a, it's a arms race when it comes to like a lot of this technology, right? So AI, for example, is going to be used to find bugs in code and find exploits and just automatically look for stuff. And it's going to be really effective at that. But I think on the other side is, well, once we have that, we got to figure out how to battle this with a computer, right? So if a computer is just being so diligently finding all the things and then going and deeping, burrowing itself in there, Let's have a computer do the opposite, which is let's find all the things and then block people from getting in there. And so it, it'll be, I think, more computer versus computer in the future of cybersecurity, where as soon as the offensive side has this technology, the defensive side has to quickly catch up and say, no, we have a way to defend against that. And I think um, I wish it was the other way around. I wish the defensive side is like totally adopting the AI and being like, we're going to use AI to absolutely 100% patch all the things, no question, it's going to, because it's going to be able to detect, you know, things that we don't want on the fly and just fix it right then and there and go and make changes and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I just don't see that push. I see the push from the other end. And maybe it's just that the news stories show up because it's like, well, look at the, how AI is being misused in this hacking method or something. And I don't see it on the other side. I mean, you go you go to these conferences, like RSA conference or whatever, and they're all for ten years they've been saying they're using AI to use to defend, to, to you know tune their tools and stuff. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But now, is it the same AI or is or are you using this? Like, what are you? How? What were you doing ten years ago? Because this is different now, and uh, it's interesting to see if they're able to keep up with this. Because I think a lot of them can't. I think a lot of a lot of what they said was AI in the past to defend was smoke and mirrors. It was it looked like AI, but it wasn't. It was just a signature created to do this one calculation very effectively uh, if it sees this one thing. But now it's like, no, we 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 can you really like this is going to take a lot more effort than just uh, two programmers with some fancy idea of what AI looks like. You know, six seven years ago. Now you're going to need a whole team of twenty research and developers just to create a new way to use AI in your tool, like specifically for your tool. And, and I don't know if that's 
how they're doing it. So yeah, it's uh, I, I know the defenders are doing this, but it would be nice if they were ahead of the curve when it comes to the arms race. Next up, Zach Allen, Director of Security Detection and Research at Datadog and the author of the Detection Engineering Weekly Newsletter. Well, I'm going to put my MBA hat on here um, and combine this with security. Uh, we're already kind of seeing a consolidation of many different tech companies. We're seeing a contraction as well from you know high growth companies and things like that. So a lot of niche players that you see, whether it's in the cloud space, threat intelligence, SIM, I think there's going to be a consolidation, like a, a big run up next year for companies getting acquired. Um, I know at least IPOs have slowed down a lot, but within the next year, it's going to be really interesting to see where, you know, these shops that are venture backed, um, see, see where they go. So I, I think it was Warren Buffett. He said, when the tide goes out, it's really easy to see who's been swimming naked. <laughs> so, um, being able to kind of see which, which of these vendors that are in these growth stages haven't been swimming naked, came prepared and seeing where others see an opportunity for an acquisition, they take it. Um, so I, I'll probably, I'd love to see where that goes, but the consolidation I'm always interested in because after a contraction, what happens is it then goes back into a growth phase and then we get new exciting industries and things like that. Next up, Amanda Berlin, lead incident detection engineer at Blumira and founder and CEO of Mental Health Hackers. AI is going to take over everything. <laughs> Not really. Not really. Uh, I did watch the Boston Dynamics, like, you know, learning robots thing the other day that made me think literally everything that I do every day seems like just like I'm a baby learning colors. So I I definitely don't think AI is going to, you know, take over everything because it can't even fix my SQL query correctly. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to continue getting better. Next up, David Burkett, founder of Signal Blur. My predictions for the future are as phishing and maldocs become more and more difficult to get delivered to end users, the amount of exploits like remote code executions being used as an initial access vector, my opinion is that's probably going to rise. And when you think about it, and, and this is definitely not always the case, but as you kind of talked about with so much of the cloud being powered by Linux, a lot of your uh, systems that are going to be exposed publicly are probably going to be Linux. So it's going to be a good time to go ahead and start securing those, get some visibility into them. Next up, Ross Halleluk, Director of Product at Lima Charlie, the author of Cyber for Builders and co-lead for the Venture and Security Angel Syndicate. I think I think security is is very similar to an arms race. You know, if somebody builds a new offense, and then people create a new defensive measure, and then the process keeps on going and going and going. When I think about the future of security, I uh, what comes to mind is a conver is a is another podcast that Jason Chan was on recently, and what Jason uh, brought uh, brought up was was quite interesting to me. I, I never I never thought of it for, from that perspective, but it made it it made so much sense. So Jason was talking about uh, the issue is with bank robberies. And so today in 2023, despite the very, very best effort, there is still over 2,000 bank robberies happen in the United States every single year. We've had over 100 years of banks that have all the resources they can, like all the resources you can imagine, access to the very best professionals. They've tried, like they've invested into, into, into security heavily. They, they've pulled in all the resources. Moreover, every single bank is a physical, very isolated location that you can like you can absolutely sort of circle around and like you can you can put in the measures. You know, nobody like it's not too it's not as easy to access bank from, from another country as it is to log in into the to, to access somebody else's computer. But despite despite so much money and so much investment that we've funneled into getting banks safer, the, the number of quote-unquote breaches is non-zero. So I think security is somewhat similar, where we probably won't in any foreseeable future suddenly get the number of breaches to zero. 
But what we can do, we can reduce the number and we can reduce the order of magnitude when the breaches happen. We can reduce the impact, like the order of magnitude of the impact, and we can do it by building securely from the ground up. On the topic of consolidation and the idea that, well, we can, we can, get, we can get security vendors to somehow consolidate, I think in many ways it is cyclical, right? On one hand, security professionals want the flexibility of being able to trust different vendors and different approaches and pick and choose whom they use. On the other hand, they don't want to have, you know, 65 or 100 separate tools that they have to stitch together. I don't know to what degree we will get like one big platform that does everything, everything security in the years to come. What I think is much more likely is that we will, somebody smart will be able to take advantage of the data gravity effect. I, I've talked about it in one of my, in one of my articles, but the, the idea around data gravity is that as all data, in our case, as all security data comes into one place, it starts to accumulate mass. And when it does it, it attracts products and services around it. I think we see it today with, with, with some of the data lakes and cloud providers. When instead of, let, let's just say, if, if, if all of your data is in, in Snowflake or in GCP or, or somewhere else, then instead of going through the purchasing process with, with some new vendor, in order for them, like in order for you to deploy them in your environment, I would picture a universe where you can go to the marketplace offered by that vendor and scroll through a number of different approaches and a number of different providers. And then in one click or in two clicks, in, in a very easy manner, you can subscribe to whatever services, to whatever value they offer and have that applied in your environment. Like, again, it remains to be seen who is like who is going to win in that platform game. Again, data gravity effect is sort of vendor neutral. It's a concept that says if you get all of your data into one place, it becomes very easy for for the for the entity that owns your data to offer adjacent security security solutions or non-security solutions if we are talking more broadly. You see now, you see companies like Splunk which have a lot of the data do, doing the same. You see companies like CrowdStrike doing the same. You see, you know, you see Sentinel One and, and their marketplace. So a lot, like any company that starts to accumulate security data has the incentives to, to sort of expand the market. And obviously they cannot build everything in-house. They have to build the marketplace. So I don't, I don't think we will ever be in, in place where there is just one vendor who does everything security and people have no choice but to work with that vendor. But what I do think is, much more likely is that we will have a platform where like we like we will get to into the place where we have a platform and people get the ability to use a lot of the capabilities of that platform but for adjacent capabilities that the platform doesn't offer they can they can sort of use plugins or add-ons or however you call them built by by external parties that sort of plug into their data and do whatever they're designed to do. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's a bit of a philosophical answer, but sort of to go back to your question about consolidation, yes, of course, as more acquisitions happen, we will be seeing more and more founders drawn into the market by the, by the desire to, to start something and, and, and exit a company within a relatively short period of time. And we will see large companies probably becoming larger. But then there is always going to be a need for new ideas and new approaches, and those will be built by, by smaller startup teams. I cannot imagine a large enterprise with thousands and thousands of people uh, remaining innovative the way it, it would have to be in order for it to keep up with, with the changes in the security industry. That has always been the case, and I think it will continue to be the case. You mentioned uh, Splunk, CrowdStrike, and Sentinel One, but it sounded to me like you were describing Lima Charlie in our add-on marketplace. So, yeah, I am like I'm a head of product at Lima Charlie, and I and I am here for a reason because I do believe in what we are building. I do believe in what we are doing. But as a yeah, as a as a vendor neutral podcast, 
<laughs> I do not re directly recommend the specific solution. Next up, Rich Hyman, former chief AI officer at Silver Sky and author of Generative AI, More Than You Asked For. No, I, I, if you do buy the book, you'll find out that I have uh, a distaste for futurists <laughs> who, who never really track their predictions and they never really evaluate they they never really evaluate their performance and and besides the fact i th i think seeing the future is a lot easier than seeing what is right in front of us because the future it doesn't require any details you know like you could predict something of having in the future and it doesn't it doesn't have to fit into experience or the real world and uh, and i think there's a there's a great quote and i'm gonna, i'm paraphrasing it but it's like everyone can see things far off but are blind to what's near and and cybersecurity, I think, is a great example. Cybersecurity is really a hard problem. And uh, and most people are much better at predicting what's going to happen to cybersecurity in the future because it requires no real like explicit knowledge or even tacit knowledge about the problem that actually exists. Well, swing and a miss that time. <laughs> Next up, Paul Imey, co-founder and managing principal of Soteria. Yeah, I think... Um... I'll, I'll steal another one, and this is another one that I was talking about with Adrian, but I think he's right. I think this is going to continue to evolve, and I don't know how, but I think that uh, the extortion model, you know, there's too much money in this in this ecosystem for these people to just kind of pack it up and go away. So I think as as backups and backup solutions and business continuity solutions have become more ubiquitous and, and as people have gotten better at defending against that component of the attack, I think we're going to see more and more extortion types types of attacks, and I think we're going to see more innovation from from threat actors to try to find new ways to extort money out of people. And I I wouldn't, you know, I'm not bold enough to make a specific prediction in, as to how they're going to do that. But I, I do think that that's that's probably what's coming next. Is they're going to, you know, they're not going to say like, well, it's a good run while it lasted, and <laughs> let's let's pack it up and go home. They want more camouflage Lamborghinis, and they're going to find ways to uh, <laughs> to uh, to continue to extract money out of out of legitimate businesses. So that's I think that probably as more and more folks move to cloud, I think they're probably going to be trying to find ways to to go into these new environments and make sure that they're not you know going out of business just because everybody's upgraded from you know Microsoft Exchange to Office three sixty five. Right? They're going to find ways to to target these other environments and and find ways to make their evolve their tactics and continue to make money. Next up, Matthew Fulmer, Director of Cyber Threat Intelligence at Blockworks. It's going to get crazy. I mean, it's already crazy. My prediction is we've already we've already had the discussions before about adversarial AI and AI versus AI battles. That's already ongoing. ChatGPT has opened the floodgates on that. Next, we're going to have to try and find a way to basically have the better AI. I mean, I hate to say it, but everything right now is going to have to be focused on artificial intelligence. You're going to have to try and, I mean, there's going to be more, more adoption of people that are familiar with building, training, cataloging, everything that needs to go into everything that is AI. AI is going to revolutionize the entire cyber industry. It's probably going to revolutionize countless industries, but the cyber industry is where it's really going to make a difference because a lot of the things that analysts are running into can theoretically be augmented with artificial intelligence. Please note, I'm not saying this is the end of a lot of jobs in cybersecurity. I'm actually saying this may actually increase the jobs in cybersecurity based on all the different roles that may need to be filled because of the advent and the adoption of AI. Just, I mean, hop on LinkedIn and look and see how many, how many roles have opened up surrounding AI in the last few months. It is absolutely ridiculous. Every company wants somebody that does something with AI. And then you're going to need people that are under them to help them with all of that. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's it's going to be huge. I've even seen the role of a chief AI officer at companies. I, now. I saw that too. Um, you don't need one chief AI officer. You need multiple. You need a 
you basically need a chief AI officer that's over every department to help identify the items that need to be protected from AI. One of the biggest threats I think you're going to find is somebody finding a way to leverage artificial intelligence to extricate data from an environment. Okay, well, who is in charge over each one of these departments of ensuring the data that somebody's trying to get out can't? Who's shielding it from AI? Who's, you know, maintaining all of the barriers to gatekeep that information? I'm sure you heard about the incident with Samsung. Oh, just recently, yeah. Yeah, they uploaded source code to ChatGPT. Yeah, despite the uh, license agreement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always fun when your IP ends up on ChatGPT and is now public. Um, that's the kind of things that are going to need oversight. And you're going to need AI officers over each one of your departments that's helping design policies specific for your department on acceptable use of artificial intelligence. That would help things. There were no policies. That's why they ended up using it. There was nothing that said, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. They just thought, hey, there's this language model. Maybe it can help us find an issue that we that we haven't you know understood. I mean, it did. Helped everybody else in the world also find their source code. But I mean, congratulations, you found that error you were looking for. So, yeah, the, the, I mean, AI is going to be a huge thing. It's going to be a massive drive for, you know, employment, but it's also going to be a nightmare for security because we have to find ways to save ourselves from ourselves while trying to leverage AI. Next up, Nick Gibson, founder and CEO of Gibson Cyber. Yeah, the future of, of security operations is, is AI enhanced. And it, it's it's not AI driven; it's AI enhanced security analysts. So, those security analysts that can use a, a system like ChatGPT to search across vast knowledge knowledge bases of client information uh, to be able to find certain data. I mean, just to the point of being able to go, "Oh, hey, this alert's related to scanning activity that was mentioned in a meeting three weeks ago," um, and that's just you know, Intel from gathering meaning data and, and stuff like that and bringing it into that single platform, like we were saying, and then using AI to review that data. Next up, Naz Benchurchali, detection engineer and threat researcher at Nextron Systems and one of the maintainers of Sigma and LOL drivers. Hmm, some predictions. One of the things that I am uh, a believer on is actually regarding to detection itself. So the reason that I am uh, such a fan of the Sigma project isn't because I love the Sigma project because I use it in work or whatever, but it's actually the idea behind it. Because one thing that I don't like to do is not write rules a lot, especially rules that have been written by someone else. Okay? So my prediction would be that detection would be free to use and the pipelines around them or the way to ingest those detections is the real deal. So a lot of people are selling detections or providing a number around detections. But what I really truly believe is that projects like Sigma or similar, providing this like uh, rudimentary base or like basic base of detections will elevate everyone else around it. So basically it's not the number of rules, but as you said, the false positive issue is a really, a really big, big issue. So how do we tune it? How do, you, how do we uh, find things around it? Well, that, that would be the discussion of the future because now we, we, we might be discussion, discussing, like, for example, coverage or process creation or may, you might be not, like, for example, are oh, you using ETW that can, be, that can be patched or you're using kernel hooks or whatever. But the idea that I have is those detections actually are for everyone to use. Like, we, should, we, we don't discuss detections because a detection idea, okay, there are some detections that are unique and require a lot of work. But basically, if we reach that level of uh, sharing, which is a utopic world, but, <laughs> but if we reach that level, we, we, the next step of the detection is how do we build pipelines to reduce that false positive? Because one of the things, for example, that we've discussed in the community recently, which is we want to build like a project to tune false positive because false positives, are, some people might think they are unique, but they are not. 
that are related to behaviors and products. And those behaviors and products, yeah, that might be unique for your organization. But if you took like a step back and look at the whole of organizations, you will see that there is a lot of repetitive work. So a lot of people are tuning the same false positive across the world. So a person in China is tuning the same false positive as someone in the United States. And for me, this is an issue because we're not tackling the, the, the correct subject matter. So if you look at the red team like curve, they're advancing at a rapid pace with certain like stuff or certain attacks or techniques, but we're still even discussing how to ingest, even though the issue started like 20 years ago in CMs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a cool aspect to think of. Next up, John Hammond, principal security researcher at Huntress and YouTube Phenomenon. Well, hey, I don't have a, a, a crystal ball. I, I can't see the future, not Nostradamus, so I uh, can't say with a thousand percent certainty. But maybe I'm a little bit of a pessimist here or just a glass half empty. I don't know. I, I tend to think we're just going to see the same stuff. <laughs> Uh, phishing emails aren't going to go away. Ransomware is not going to go away. Blah, blah, blah. Cryptocurrency miners, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I know, look, I, I tend to focus a little bit on the endpoint, and there are a lot of great conversations in cloud and CICD and DevOps and AI and machine learning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I may say, none of those are the silver bullets or a great new revolution that changes the face of technology in the industry forever. Maybe kind of in a, in, a, in a sense, but it's not like fixing the problem. It's just moving the problem elsewhere. It's just sort of spreading it out. <laughs> so it's going to be the same cat and mouse game in a little bit of a different arena. Uh, and I don't know if that changes things in, in a crazy big way. That's always funny. And you know, some of those like reporters or journalists and headlines that want to get your predictions for the next year, 2024. I always feel so bad. I have this antithetical response of, it's going to be the same stuff, guys. <laughs> Next up, Anton Shuvakin, Security Advisor at the Office of the CISO for Google Cloud. Predictions for the future. Okay, so I'm going to be boring. And uh, the reason I'm going to be boring is that because I want to win. <laughs> uh, and and I, I, I'm going to use this approach to prediction that is that I learned many years ago by reading a book by Richard Feynman, the physicist. And there's a story in one of his books. I think it's you sh surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, or one of the others, where the story goes like this. I read the book a good number of years ago, so I mean, I might perhaps some of the details. So people were playing, Feynman and his friends were playing and predicting some events. And Feynman was winning a lot more than others. And people said, Richard, Richard, do you have some kind of magical quantum powers, because he was a quantum physicist, that allows you to predict the future? And he was kind of joking and not telling them. And ultimately, later on, he told them how he was predicted. He was always predicting that things would stay the same as they are now. And if you predict, if you predict in such an extrapolatory, boring format, You'd be very boring and you wouldn't be fun at parties and you would never be known as an innovator and visionary, but you'd be right more often. Right. So if you wake me up at the AM and says, Anton, will there be mainframes in 2030? And I would say, are there mainframes now? Yes. So yes, there will be mainframes in 2030. So this is silly. And again, it's not exciting. It's not, but it's also kind of a method that ultimately works. Um, at Gartner, I learned that the most powerful force in the universe, in IT universe, is actually inertia. Is that if somebody is struggling with patching windows in 1998, there's almost a certainty there would be somebody struggling with patching windows in 2018. 2028 is roughly five years away. Are you willing to bet that in 2028, nobody would suffer from patching windows. Are you going to bet that? No, I'm not going to take that bet. No. You're not going to take that. Exactly. Yeah. So, and again, I am, it's, it's funny. It's kind of sad. It's a little boring, but ultimately it's sort of our world. And so if you have challenges with false positives with detection, will they have challenges with false positives with whether we are fully enabled by AI future types of AI, whatever else, I bet yes. The answer is still yes. Um, recently, somebody showed me the slide they crafted for some presentation. 
and it's about security operations challenges. I looked at the slide and I thought, that's my slide from 2003. And this person, I don't think he was even born in 2003. <laughs> so she put together a slide based on his best knowledge of security operation challenges in 2023. And I swear I could have made this slide 20 years ago. It looked exactly the same. Talent shortages, too many alerts, confusing things. I don't know how triage things. Uh, I can't, I you don't have enough money to store data. It's the same. Yeah. So uh, while we can joke about how containers aren't VMs and VMs aren't mainframes and cloud isn't one huge mainframe in the sky, but we will see things that linger. And things that linger will cause pain. So in our beloved domain of cyber, things that linger will cause problems. And they would cause problems now and they would cause problems five years from now. And then I, when people say, Anton, surely you don't mean using just old knowledge is fine. And I would say, no, but name one security problem that we solved for good. And of course, somebody shows up who is way older than me and says, Anton, they were typewriters. And in a typewriter, there was a ribbon. And you can steal the ribbon and you can figure out what was typed on the typewriter. That problem is solved. To which I say, you win. <laughs> there is a security problem we solved. It's yeah. the theft of typewriter ribbons with the purpose of figuring out what was typed on the writer and thus stealing confidential info. You win, but you don't really win because if you go a little bit younger years than typewriters, you know, not the 50s, it's hard. Uh, buffer overflows, late 80s, SQL injection, early 2000s, password guessing, 80s, misconfiguration, I don't know what year, 70s. Yeah. And these are all top issues. Look look at M-Trends, look at Threat Horizons, look at other threat reports. Uh, you are, this is, our life is choked full of this stuff. Yeah. And this stuff is not born in Kubernetes and microservices cloud era. It was all born before. So, okay, I guess maybe I, I can be called curmudgeon uh, now, but I when I predict, I kind of bet on the past things coming from behind and biting us. And that's what I would fear. I would fear this more than I would fear uh, AI taking over the world or some other problems, like some mm -hmm. other futuristic problems. To me, the past would, would hurt you more. Past have a way, past have a lot more ways to hurt you than the future. Uh, that reminds me a lot of a quote from, I think it's Noam Chomsky. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yes, and that's that's in, along the same vein. But ultimately, sometimes in security, it seemed to actually repeat itself. Next up, Michael Lodenslager, VP of Cybersecurity at Churchill Mortgage Group and Board Advisor to CyberSanic. I, I honestly believe in my heart that I think the cyber industry will realize sharing, collaborating is what we need to do. And I honestly, I do, and I see it. I see the turning in that direction. So I honestly believe you're going to see companies collaborate more. Um, cybersecurity companies, yes, but I, I feel like industry-wide, I think the energy sector, uh, infrastructure, all of those are going to start working together to help secure each other. I honestly, I honestly believe that. And then the the other one I have for the future is the Cincinnati Bengals will win a Super Bowl with Joe Burrow <laughs> before he retires. That's that's my that's my funny one. <laughs> Next up, Michael Argast, co-founder and CEO of Cobalt.io. One of the things that I would say is that cybersecurity has gotten continuously worse for the twenty plus years that I have been involved in it. Uh, my bold prediction is that cybersecurity is going to start turning the curve this decade. Um, instead of getting continuously worse, it's actually going to start getting better. And, um, you know, I'll give you a bunch of reasons behind that, right? So a, a good reason is, like, if you think about one of the big causes for cybersecurity issues, it's like bad code, right? Like just, you know, vulnerabilities and all this kind of stuff. Well, we can see the advent of modern programming languages like Rust and stuff like that that make code safer by default, right? And you start to like basically build security resiliency in at the foundational layers of things. 
And it takes time, but over time, those things really start to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. uh, good example of stuff that's coming up in the similar vein is passwordless, right? Well, I can't fish your password if you don't have a password, right? Like there's just things like that that will start to reduce the overall risk landscape. And then, um, you know, an interesting second order effect, I'm always interested in these second and third order effects of the war in the Ukraine of all things, right? So, you know, the war in the Ukraine, you know, Russia, Ukraine, horrible, horrible situation. Russia starts conscripting people, right? Well, where do you live right now that you can be a cyber criminal that you're beyond the reach of Western law, Russia, right? What happens when Russia tries to conscript everybody and millions of war age Russians leave the country that were cyber criminals, right? Now they're within reach of Western authorities. Like one of the biggest long-term issues within cybersecurity overall has been it's a global domain and we can't get to the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Well, that's starting to change, right? And it's starting to change for just a totally set weird set of unexpected reasons. It's not because the Russians are letting us get them. It's because the Russians are turning them out because they don't want to go to war, right? So I think that the the 2020s is actually a time where at the end of this decade, we're going to go, actually, security is in a better situation than it was at the start of the decade, which is, you know, for me, it's the first time in my career I feel like uh, I could say that. Although I think the next couple of years, we're still on the, the rise, unfortunately. Right. Next up, Chris Cochran, VP of Marketing at AKA Identity and one of the co-founders of Hacker Valley Media. I would say the prediction is that the, the adversaries are going to adopt AI a bit faster than we are. Even though we have a lot of companies that are spinning up and using artificial intelligence, the, the adversary is going to see it as a way to make money very quickly. And so we need to adopt it in a way that's intelligent, but we also need to move as fast as possible to ensure that we stay on that possible adjacent, right? Because if, if we get to a point where we are behind the, the eight ball and AI and the adversary is, you know, leaps and bounds above where we are, that exponential growth is going to be kind of hard to catch up. So I would say from that perspective, like really start thinking outside the box, get as creative as you can when it comes to leveraging things like artificial intelligence uh, and in quantum, whenever that becomes a thing. But uh, I would say that's probably one of my biggest concern right now is that there are folks out there that are thinking of ways to take our lunch uh, using AI. And so we need to do the same thing. Next up. John DiMaggio, Chief Security Strategist at Analyst One and author of The Art of Cyber Warfare, An Investigator's Guide to Espionage, Ransomware, and Organized Crime. I do. I'm going to talk. This is going to be specific to ransomware, and this isn't new necessarily, but I think it's really going to start being something we see. It's been said, but I believe that we're really going to start seeing a pivot where there's less ransomware encryption type attacks versus just focusing on stealing data. And we're already starting to see that. But last week, I saw a conversation between some senior members of um, multiple ransomware organizations that were discussing whether or not it made sense to keep working on uh, doing ransomware where you're encrypting or whether to just focus on stealing data. And one was saying that the encryption version of ransomware was, was dead. The other one was saying, no, there's value. The one that said it was dead was saying that because companies have caught on, they're doing, they figured out that they need to do remote backups. It's not enticing them to pay. And if they do, they're going to pay a lot less for it. And the other was saying, yes, you're right. However, we've stolen their data. We want them to pay. They're going to be temporarily crippled, even if it's it's just a short amount of time. Let's say it's they still have to spend, you know, I'll call it a short amount of time, weeks to, to rebuild all that or to restore that data at least a week at a minimum. And that's pretty fast. You know, leveraging, ha having their data leaked while that's happening, even if they can restore, is going to be more beneficial than not. But the fact that they're having that conversation tells me that things are changing. So I do think we're going to see changes within the ransomware landscape, I do think we're going to see more groups that are just leveraging data, uh, stealing data and holding that for ransom. And I do think that we're going to see, continue to see these new creative methods used to intercept and breach companies. Next up, John Bagg, founder and CEO of Salem Cyber. I still believe pretty strongly that you know, the Miami Heat are going to win the Eastern Conference Finals uh, tonight. I don't know if this will be very relevant by the time you, you publish this. I might look like, you know, a big idiot. Um, but, you know, I, I've got belief in, in playoff Jimmy. Um, 
Yeah. And, you know, on the AI front, I think that there's a lot said about what could and, and could not happen with AI. I think the truth with all these technologies is the biggest impacts are going to be different than anybody's really thinking today. Right. And it's, it's very unlikely, in my opinion, to be cataclysmic. And it's very unlikely to be utopian, right? There's going to be just some weird other bucket that we look back and go, huh, that's, uh, that's what came of this. So just more boring dystopia. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Next up, Dave Johnson, security engineer at Amazon and YouTube phenomenon. Yeah, I do think uh, we're going to see uh, more advanced cloud attack techniques. Currently, there's just like some basic things around misconfigurations that attackers are using to gain access and compromise cloud environments. But I think over time, as the cloud usage gets bigger and bigger, we're definitely going to see more interesting and more insightful and more complicated um, attack techniques from, from attackers, just like the ones we've seen for Windows or Linux systems over the years. Next up, James Potter, founder of DSC, a security firm specializing in Active Directory. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, um, so far, some threat reports that are coming out are indicating we're having a, a 20% higher number of attacks this year over over last year. And uh, I, I attended some talks over the past couple of weeks um, where some representatives from the U.S. government were, were speaking. And the major threat for the U.S. Is, is still China. So China, for each cybersecurity um, statesmen we have working working for the government. China has ten. Um, they're not all expertly. Um, what's well, uh, what's the right word? They're they're not all top level experts, but they do have many many top level experts that are very very good. But then they also have lower level um, staff that are new and, and not quite as uh, adept. And those are the individuals that tend to tend to make mistakes. But I, I still see cyber cyber espionage and cyber threats from from China and, and Russia. Being the biggest threat to the U.S., we, we highlight that in our, in our own threat report. Um, I don't see that changing from a trending standpoint. I agree to see maybe less ransomware and more extortion because extortion is a lot easier to do than ransomware, uh, especially with a lot of the new SEC laws that are out around public disclosure. So basically, if you're a public company and you get breached, you have a very short window to disclose that breach. And this is something you have to throw in your your, your filings, right, if you're a public company. And if you don't, there there are repercussions not just for the organization, but potentially for for CISOs. The the Solar Wind CISO is uh, has an SEC prosecution going on right now, and all publicly traded companies CISOs are watching that right now because that's going to determine you know personal liability for not disclosing and how that disclosure is done. So, if the SEC is successful in prosecuting, that's going to mean every CISO at a publicly traded company from here on out. As soon as they're aware of something, if they don't report that up to the CIO and CEO, then they're personally liable. So a lot of companies have this bad history of kind of sweeping things under the under the rug, keeping it quiet and just solving it. But I don't think that's going to happen as much because of that personal liability aspect. And because that things are going to be bubbling up a lot more to the CIOs and be bubbling up a lot more to the CEOs. I think there's going to be a lot more spend in this space because of that. Next up. Ira Winkler, CISO and Vice President of CYE and author of several best-selling books on cybersecurity. I mean, my only prediction for the future I can safely make is more of the same but different. You know, when I look back at the whole of, you know, I'm talking about cybersecurity. When I look back at cybersecurity, you know, you look at all the current attacks that we have. And frankly, a lot of them have just been different variations of like the Morris worm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and even the Morris Worm was a variation of something else. But, you know, you look back in 19, I think it was 1988, Robert Morris, a graduate student from Cornell University, whose father was ironically chief scientist at the National Security Agency's InfoSec division. Um, he wrote a paper, exp, you know, well, or he basically took research. He said it was an accident. I don't believe it. But anyway, I don't, it's, it's irrelevant now. Um, where he basically found vulnerabilities that were discussed theoretically. In other words, known vulnerabilities, put it together in a tool and got released and shut down at the time what was a third of the internet. 
Wow. Now imagine that happening now. But think about what that essentially was. It was essentially a set of known vulnerabilities that were written into malware that were released. You start thinking about computer viruses and things like that. Well, it's kind of a computer virus, but they're just different ways of releasing the same things. Now people are taking similar types of attacks and focusing it and making that into extortion, ransomware, potentially DDoS attacks, much like the Morris Worm attack was, and so on. And when I look at what's going to happen in cybersecurity, yeah, I look and the criminals are going to follow the money, which is nothing new. You're going to look and see, okay, there might be some nation state attacks trying to take down infrastructure, kind of like uh, what the Morris Worm would have done if infrastructure was on the internet at the time and so on. So again, more of the same, just different. Next up, Huxley Barbie, security evangelist at Run Zero and organizer of B-Sides New York. So I'm generally pessimistic, so I'm going to share with you a fear that I have about where we're going with with cybersecurity here. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. And I I could be completely off base. In fact, I would like to be wrong. But I fear this convergence towards homogeneous defense, right? So I'll explain what I mean by that. So security solutions are becoming more commonplace. This is partly due to such security attacks always being on the rise, right? The adversaries expanded their scope beyond governments and, and large enterprises. Now they're also attacking small companies, schools, OT environments, and things like this. And this has been happening for quite some time. So that's not new. And even though it's not new, it's still a driver for, for this homogeneous defense that I'm talking about here. The other driver is this continuing rise of requirements for security solutions. Uh, I'm not talking about just like regulations, but also you know, CISA has recently been releasing new binding operating directives like BOD 2301, BOD 2302, which only apply to federal civilian agencies, but a lot of other organizations sort of take on that those uh, directives as something they should be following too. And in the private sector, we're seeing uh, more and more cyber insurance becoming a reason why people or organizations adopt security solutions. Okay. There could be a time, this is my fear, there could be a time when every organization beyond a certain size, uh, well, this is not the fear, but there could be a time when every security organization beyond a certain size is required to have a certain level of security. My fear is that this second driver will favor larger companies, larger vendors, I should say. And if that happens, we may end up seeing a more homogeneous defense where a significant number of organizations have the same password manager or the same EDR or the same, you know, take your pick of security solution. And and that's not a good thing, right? You know, every species thrives on genetic diversity. And in the same way, so to analogize here, I feel like organizations can thrive on, you know, a diversity of security solutions. If we get to a point where everybody is buying their security solutions from a single vendor or very few vendors, you know, what does that world look like? Not just for defense, but to the adversary. Like, how much easier does it get for them? Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope it never comes to this, but it is something that I think about uh, when it comes to the, the future for, for where we're going in terms of cybersecurity. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never had anybody bring that up specifically, but I agree. I think these big vendors probably have very good defenses, but if you look at something like Solar Winds, where mm-hmm. you know a motivated actor, an APT, has the resources to put in and, and figure out a way through, the resulting uh, number of attacks that are possible out of that is, is exponential compared to a regular breach. Absolutely. Very good example. Next up, Bruce and Heidi Potter, both very well-known members of the cybersecurity community. Bruce is the CEO and founder of Turngate, and Heidi is the driving force behind ShmooCon. So I think back years ago, I worked at Booz Allen, and I was given a talk at Black Hat. I don't remember what the talk was. And uh, the reason I remember I was working at Booz Allen is because I swore on stage, and I got quoted in some magazine uh, swearing 
And before I even landed back from Vegas, I had a nasty gram from Booz Allen PR. It's like, please refrain from swearing on stage again. And I'm like, you should have heard all the f bombs. All they got was the goddamn it in this quote. Like it was like <laughs> that was that was a lot of swearing. So, um, but but what, I, what I've been referencing in the quote is, you know, I was thinking back. There was this great Air Force study on on what we now call cybersecurity from 1971, where they're looking at like all the characteristics of at the time modern computing and the problems that we're having with respect to, you know, different uh, um, attacks and vulnerabilities and whatever. And if you looked at the space around 2003, 2004, I was like, we haven't accomplished a goddamn thing in 40 years, right? Like you, you could take that report and change a few technology Pretty names. sure that was the quote. That was the quote. <laughs> and you could change a few technology names. And other than that, like it felt like, all of it was still true. Like every inch of it was was still true. And I've gone back and, and reread that paper a few times in the intervening years. And it it finally starts to feel like it's some of it's not true anymore, right? Like we've actually made progress. We're actually, uh, um, you know, formalizing our body of knowledge. We're learning from the past. We're, you know, out in front of some problems to some extent. And and there's there's a chance to create defensible systems and defensible networks. And if you look at like the, you know, the, the cost, the, 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 the budget of large banks, you know, if you look at City and Goldman and other people and how much money that they spend, you know, the, the amount of money they spend on cybersecurity has been huge and measured in billions at times and is now starting to come down. And what that tells me is like, there is now a maturity that you can, you can reach where you actually feel like I'm doing the right things and I'm building a defensible enterprise. And when the big banks figure it out, that all trickles down over time, right? Like the technology, the trade, the knowledge, becomes more operational to smaller and smaller and smaller businesses. And even now I'm seeing startups with 30 or 40 or 50 people that have scissors at an early stage. They're getting their SOC 2. It's not that the SOC 2 is a be-all end-all, but it is a sign of some maturity and that they're actually thinking about these things and whatever. And, you know, that's that's awesome. I mean, like the whole reason I'm in this industry is personally is because I, I thought it was cool, but I actually cared about it. Like I actually wanted to make you know, from the early days of Honey and I in Alaska, like we own networks that were like critical to people's lives and we wanted to protect them. And it was very hard to do 30 years ago. And and so, you know, seeing the ball get pushed forward, seeing the industry evolve, I think for the future, we're going to see a continued trend where you actually can at any scale, small or large, build defensible systems that you can run without any adverse actions happening against you, which is pretty novel in the history of computing for for sure. Yeah, and I, I love the optimism. I usually don't get that with that question. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the Potter household. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe oh, I'm awesome. getting old. I'm not as cranky as I used to be. He's pretty cranky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next up, Devin Ackerman, Global Service Line Leader for Digital Forensics and Incident Response at Kroll, as well as the author of Diving In An Incident Responder's Journey, a guide for executives, lawyers, insurance brokers, and audiences eager to learn. Oh, mercy. Well, if you look at my Twitter feed, it all has to do with AI. But joking aside, I think that the last five to 10 years of incident response and forensics has been amazing to watch things evolve. I think we will see in the next several years, we're going to see tools become more automated. I think we're also going to see uh, more commoditization in incident response. But with all of that, and going back to the digital forensic science underpinning what we do, no tool will ever fully replace the person, but I think many vendors are going to try. And I think ultimately, even with the advance of AI, we're going to have awesome things get produced and sold and marketed. The examiner who has experience to tell you a story and base that upon the evidence they're seeing and build that timeline, I think for many years to come will still be the reigning champ. Next up, David Seidman. Head of SecOps at Robinhood. Yeah, so I think first, I think we've reached a point of stability in the core functions that security teams offer. We haven't seen that much change in the past five to 10 years in the types of teams we have. We have a detection team, an incident response team, a vulnerability management team, a threat intel team, a red team, etc. Those categories have been really quite stable over time. Uh, and we've even seen convergence in the names of teams across different companies. So I don't think we're going to see much change in the core structure. Um, so I think that will be pretty stable. I think we're going to see an increased focus on insider threat. There is a tremendous amount of risk from malicious insiders. 
And I think that that is not widely appreciated in the industry. I think there are some companies who know this very well. I think there are some individuals who know this very well. Uh, certainly the national security organizations know this very well. But I think there are a lot of companies who have a serious insider threat problem who do not even realize it today. So I think that knowledge is going to grow over time. Awareness is going to grow over time. And we're going to see a large uh, growth in insider threat professionals, tools, uh, and awareness. I see LLMs being transformative on the order of three to five years. So chat GPT and, and its brethren. Um, I think this is a technology where the hype is going to pan out, uh, particularly in that three to five year time frame. There are all sorts of interesting things you can do with LLMs. You can generate realistic looking attacks, realistic looking phishing emails, and see how your team responds to those. Do we detect a simulated attack that's been randomized by an LLM? They're really good at generating randomized but realistic looking input. Um, but red teams are really great, but they're hard to scale. LLMs offer the possibility of red teams at scale. Um, that's actually terrifying. <laughs> Imagine that we create a very effective automated red team that's able to autonomously penetrate a company and achieve mission objectives. Like, you better hope that that thing doesn't have any bugs. Like, <laughs> no putting the decimal point in the wrong place here. Um, so uh, that is something that actually scares me quite a bit. Uh, it could very easily get out of hand. Um, I also see LLMs potentially replacing SOC triage, again, more like in the five-year time frame. They're very good at inferring meaning out of text and responding with appropriate text. And so I think that we may be able to develop the capability to assess an alert and the data associated with it and reach a reliable verdict, at least as reliable as a human analyst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually know of a couple of companies working on those problem sets right now. I'm very excited to see what comes out of the startup space in this field. I think it's a very exciting time to be in the industry. Yeah. And at the very least right now, it's a big force multiplier for people just, you know, to understand piece of code or a detection logic without having to take the time to go through it. Right. Absolutely. The speed of transformation that's happened after ChatGPT came out has been absolutely incredible. I don't think I've seen anything like it the whole time I've been in the industry. Yeah. Well, the changes are only going to get bigger and faster from what I understand. So here we go. Next up, Daniel Velasquez, Executive Vice President of Op4. Predictions of the future. I mean, as it relates to China or excuse me, cyber, I could talk about China all day long. Um, I think, you know, China is going to probably invade Taiwan sometime in the next five years. Um, I'll put money on it. And I think... If you don't think from a cyber perspective, they're already laying the groundwork today, um, then you're absolutely mistaken. You know, I think we have squirrel syndrome in the government and in, in the cyber community. And so everyone started talking about Russia and cyber when Ukraine kicked off. Mm -hmm. um, but Russia was prepared and was doing stuff well before their invasion. And China's doing the same stuff now. And we're not, we're not talking about it. We're not looking into it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the world needs to prepared for for something there. And I think also, you know, again, thinking about the future, you know, over the last few years, I think Cyber Pearl Harbor already happened um, in solar winds and Hafnium. And, you know, the, the world just doesn't understand cyber. I think it's just gonna have to happen over and over and over again. You know, I've I've come from the government, I've talked to these people in the government at the Pentagon and other government buildings about, you know, cyber policy. And they're really lagging and they don't know how to handle it. And uh, it's causing uh, negative repercussions to, you know, government agencies like CISA who want to have a mission to protect us. And um, yeah, I think so. You talk about the future. I think there will be more attacks like solar winds. If not, they're already happening. We just haven't uncovered them. And last but certainly not least, Chad Lovin, VP of Business Development at OpSWAT. I think it's not a brilliant prediction. I mean, I think we are going to see more consolidation. I think we're seeing, you know, the, the current uh, consolidation, if you like, the reduced funding. Like if you look at the trends in funding, I mean, it's definitely on a big downturn. The IPO markets are a lot tougher. Not good for a lot of people, but I think the silver lining of all of that is we are going back to basics. You know, there's a lot more value being placed on companies that deliver real revenue and deliver real value. You know, so I, 
I, th- I I see that as very positive. You know that we're 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 really focusing on hopefully really solving the solution. Because let's face it, as an industry, we haven't been super great, right? Like you know, here we are, twenty years later. You know, <laughs> if if some dedicated you know Chinese group wants to hack into Microsoft, we've seen that they can. You know, so uh, are we successful? Not so far. You know, hopefully we've raised the bar a little bit. Hopefully we've made things more difficult. But again, I, I want to be optimistic that focusing more on, on the basics in our business will help us be more successful as an, as an industry in, in terms of truly you know, living up to CrowdStrike's tagline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was Warren Buffett who said, when the uh, tide goes out, you can see who's wearing shorts. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there's quite several people that, that aren't, <laughs> several companies, uh, that's clear. Uh, you know, that's okay, right? I mean, it's, it needs to happen every now and then. So, uh, you know, I, I, I personally have, don't, don't view that as a negative. And that concludes this final episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast for 2023. I really appreciate all of you for sticking with us as we grow, learn, and evolve. I'm very excited for what is coming in the year ahead. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics or guests, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next year.